0: We are in a series uh, called Fit. We've been talking about the book of Mark. Uh, this weekend, I was saying to Desiree, I was like, hey, do you like how we're doing a survey of the book of Mark? We're like learning the entire book of Mark uh, all in one sermon series. And uh, she was quiet. And uh, and I was like, do you like that? I mean, like, like we're, we're, we're learning a whole book of the Bible together. And she was like, oh, I didn't even realize that's what we were doing. I'm like, you didn't realize that? we oh, did... F- chapter one, two, three, and then and then four, five, six last week, she was like, no, no, I didn't realize that. So I thought maybe I should tell you, because <laughs> sometimes I think I'm being super obvious, and I'm not being so obvious. Uh, we're doing a, a sermon series, and we're talking about how, in particular, Jesus came to the earth, and people had an expectation of what the Messiah was going to be, and and what it meant to be in the kingdom of God. And Jesus really didn't fit what they were looking for. They thought they were looking for a Messiah, but when the Messiah came, he didn't fit the mold. And they themselves, his disciples, his earliest followers, were really struggling with how do we fit into this new kingdom that has come. And so we've been walking through uh, the book of Mark, and we've been learning about, we've been learning about fit. And every, every one of us in our lives struggle to try to figure out how do we fit, right? I'm not the only one. that's ever walked into a room and said, do I fit into this room? And, and we also, all of us, struggle to believe uh, that there are things in our lives that are a fit for us. Do, does, is this for me? Does this belong for me? And all of us have struggled with disappointment in our lives when we thought we wanted something and then when it came, it didn't fit what we thought we wanted. Every one of us have struggled with, and the disciples, Jesus' earliest followers, were certainly struggling with that. And demonstrated the kingdom. He began certainly uh, as he declared the kingdom and demonstrated the kingdom. There were plenty who struggled to receive the kingdom. And the Book of Mark really is the the first of the gospels that were were written. It was the story of uh, the life of Jesus. And Mark, John, Mark, the writer of the Book of Mark, had a very specific purpose. He wanted to present. This is who Jesus is, and this is what Jesus did. So Mark didn't get involved in a lot of the details that the other gospel writers got because he didn't really care about those details. He was just trying to make a point. This is Jesus, and this is what he did. Now, what are you going to do about it? It really was that simple. And so as we've been going through the book of Mark, we've been learning some principles together that we can, that we can see there. And one of the major themes uh, from the book of Mark is, as I mentioned, it is actually it is about fit it's about this messiah mark chapter 1 verse 1 says the good news has come and either either the kingdom is going to fit into your life and you're going to fit into the kingdom or you're going to reject the kingdom oftentimes we try to we try to complicate spiritual matters we try to complicate relationship with God. And and I believe Mark was the kind of guy who didn't like to complicate things. He wanted to make it really, really simple. Here's the kingdom of God. Either you're going to fit your life into the kingdom, because this is what the kingdom life looks like, and and you're going to allow the kingdom of God to, to change you and transform you, or you're going to reject the kingdom of God. Either there's room in your life for Jesus, or there's not room in your life for Jesus. We talked about uh, from the book of Mark, how Jesus and his disciples um, would would move from town to town, and Jesus would perform miracles, or he would deliver someone, and and inevitably there was this response: "Jesus, show us more. Jesus, do more." And so he would show more, and he would do more, and then they would say, "I'm not so sure about that." And if we're honest, many of us have had that same pattern with God. We've said, "God, if." If you'll do this miracle in my life, then I'll believe in you. If you'll rescue me in this moment, then I'll believe with you. And God, of course, blesses us. He, he rescues us. He does miracles in our life. And then we're, we're, we're kind of like, have you ever seen people who are in a, like a bad marriage or a bad relationship? And, and, it's like, and it's like one of the people in the relationship is always, always waiting for the next thing or demanding the next thing. If you really love me, you'll do this. If you really love me you'll buy this. If you really love me you'll let me do this, right? And and then it, it it's it's like one of the people in the relationship are constantly stuck in a place of proving themselves. None of us have ever been in really, but we've seen people in relationships like that. Right? And that was exactly how it was for Jesus as his ministry was starting, the people just kept saying prove yourself, prove yourself, prove yourself. As Jesus was walking with his disciples, um, the 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 crowds uh, became confused about this this Messiah or this Rabbi. He would have been called a Rabbi because he had followers and they were following him. And 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 this Rabbi looked different than other Rabbis. And so as a result, um, they struggled. They struggled to believe him. They struggled to believe in his words. And in their mind, they couldn't connect the miracles and the signs and the wonders with the things that he taught. And more specifically, the things that he did and his followers did. I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, Jesus and his disciples, his disciples more particularly, um, apparently didn't follow all of the Jewish ceremony and rules about washing their hands before they ate. Apparently, there were a lot of, there were a lot of traditions that began to be created in the Jewish community, the, the, the Jewish elders and particularly religious Jewish people had certain ceremonies and particular ways that they would wash their hands before their, they ate. And they had become so, those, those traditions had become so entrenched into their Jewish culture that they equated relationship with God with how you washed your hands. They had equated that whether or not you were good with God based on how you washed your hands before you ate. And they had taken certain of the laws of Moses and they had added on to the laws of Moses many traditions. And the problem was that Jesus and his disciples weren't following those traditions. And so people began to question them and began to say, well, if you're not following these traditions, are, are, you, are you really in right relationship with God. See, it's really dangerous when you start to add on things to, that God has said in His Word. It's dangerous when our culture, when our culture starts to dictate whether or not a person has right relationship with God more than God's word actually dictates whether or not a person has good relationship with God. And apparently they were doing other things wrong, besides washing their hands properly. Now, don't get me wrong. But you're not going to hell over it. Right? But the problem is is when our traditions and our culture begin to make claims on a person's identity, in particular their rightness with God, more over and above than God in His word does. That's when it starts. To become a problem, people were dismissing Jesus and his disciples because they weren't washing their hands properly. And apparently, they were doing other things wrong, like they were cooking with the wrong dishes. They didn't cook the food the right way. They didn't. I mean, you could go on, you could extrapolate on and on and on. Uh, the book of, of Mark, Mark just uses a couple of examples, but he, he says that there were other things, other traditions that they were breaking. And as a result, people were rejecting Jesus and they was rejecting his followers because they were not following the traditions of the Jewish people, not because they weren't following God. Jesus responds to this in Mark chapter 7, verse 5. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? Basically, they were delegitimizing the ministry of Jesus and his followers, not because they were violating the law of God, but because they were violating the culture, because they were violating the tradition because they were violating the things that had been added onto the revelation of God to enforce certain culture. As I began to understand this, it caused me to begin to ask the question, what do I believe about God or the proper way to respond to God or respect God or worship God? What do I believe that is more an invention of my culture than it is a command from Scripture. Are you prepared to wrestle with that question? Even more significantly, in a diverse community like ours and in a diverse nation like South Africa, what do we require of other people? What do we add on to other people that we believe is a requirement... For them to be Christian, that is actually an invention or an expression of our culture rather than what's actually in God's word. See, it's dangerous. It's dangerous when you preach your opinion and when you preach your culture rather than when you preach God's word. That's why we... That's why we encourage you to have a daily 20 so that you're spending five minutes at minimum in Scripture yourself every day. Because I don't want you believing what Randy has to say. I want you believing what Scripture has to say. Because as much as I may have lived in Africa for the last 12 or 13 years, as much as I've, I've lived in South Africa for the last seven, or seven and a half years, here's what I understand I'm still from the United States. I bring my culture with me everywhere that I go. You hear it in my accent, but you also hear it in my expressions, and it comes through in my interpretation of Scripture. If we are to be honest, all of us read and understand Scripture through a lens, the lens of how we were raised, what we were taught, what we were taught was right and wrong. And anyone who's an honest follower of Jesus has to ask themselves the question, do I believe this because this is what Jesus has said and commanded? Or do I believe this because of my culture or my experiences? And the more that I mature and the more that I grow, the more I have to learn to distinguish between those two things. Now, does it mean that washing my hands before I eat is a bad thing? Absolutely not. But does it mean that I exclude people from community who don't wash their hands before they eat? Maybe I don't eat after them, but (laughs) I don't exclude them from community just because they don't do it the way that I do it. See, I believe if we were to be honest in this room, every one of us in this room have areas in our lives, things that we believe about God and about following God that are a product of our culture, that are a product of what we've been taught. And maybe those things are not bad things, but they're certainly not access things. Maybe they're good things. Maybe they're beneficial things. Maybe they're things that we should should teach and perpetuate in others, but they're not a matter of access to God. They're not a matter of good and evil. Maybe they're a matter of better and best. Maybe they're just a matter of taste and opinion. I know that you believe your taste and opinion is the taste and the opinion. But some people, some people enjoy a different kind of spice. Some people like the meat to be bride a little bit differently. Some people worship differently than you. Some people pray differently than you. And I'm going to really blow I'm going to really blow your mind. For some of you there are things that are sin to you That are not sin to somebody else in this room. Oh you're making that up. No I'm not. As you read your Bible. You're going to learn that there are things in scripture that are clear. That are sin for all of us. But there are some issues. There are some issues. That the Holy Spirit is uniquely doing a work in your life. Has drawn a boundary in your life. That isn't a boundary in my life. And that's because God in his relationship with you as your father knows the boundaries that are good for you. And just because he set that boundary for you doesn't mean that I need to live in that same boundary because it may not be what's best for me. Oh no, it's all of you justice oriented. Everything's gotta be in a box oriented. Everyone's gotta be equal oriented people. Your minds are just, I see the steam coming out of your ears right now. But in scripture, it's very, very clear That there are certain boundaries and limitations that God set that are for all of us, and then there are others, and there are others that are meant for us as individuals as we walk before the Lord. Perhaps as we grow and as we are disciples, we find that those boundaries work for us. Maybe they're a boundary that we didn't even know existed before in our life. Well, I'm meddling so much. Let me get back to Mark chapter 7. Let me read verses 6 to 8 to you. It says this. And he said to them, this is Jesus' response, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold the tradition of men. Think about it. There's things like the Ten Commandments, like the ones that are for all of us that are super clear, like thou shall not lie. There's no gray area here, folks. This one's for all of us. But there are some of us in this room that lie to our children over and over and over again, and then we beat them to death we set a pattern of lying to, and we teach them how to lie. We teach them to manipulate. We reward them for becoming good manipulators because that's who we are. And we just ignore that scripture says, thou shall not lie. And yet if they don't wash their hands before dinner, if they don't tuck their shirt in the right way, If they don't go around to every person in the room and say, Yes, man. They'll whack them on the head and Jesus beat them over. Are you with me today? Now, should children greet adults when they come in the room? Wonderful. That's a beautiful thing. But stop manipulating scripture to enforce your culture. Just say that's our culture. And start enforcing scripture and say, no, we're not going to lie in our house. I'm not going to lie to you. My no means no. And my yes means yes. And if you don't like it, you don't have to be my friend because you're my child. I don't need your approval because I already have approval from my heavenly father. I'm meddling today, man. I'm feeling it. I need that Rocky music back from the other week. But see, this is the deal. This is what was going on in the Jewish community. There were certain things that were certainly clear that God said, do this and don't do this. And the religious people were ignoring those things and they were were manipulating other things because they wanted to enforce power distance and control. And Jesus is just calling them out on it. You're you're rejecting the kingdom of God. You're rejecting me. You're rejecting signs, wonders, miracles. You're rejecting the people that are following me because they're not following tradition, but you won't even, the tradition that you, you are commanding right now, you're not even living up to the law upon which that tradition was built. The foundation of any culture that has respect must be rooted in honesty. And so putting on the facade of respect, but not respecting at a human level the dignity of every individual so that we can deal honestly with one another, absolutely erodes any basis upon which we can work. It erodes any basis upon which we can have a successful culture. So how ridiculous is it that we have a culture that saves face but stabs you in the back? Jesus says, "Listen, you want to reject, you want to reject me because we're, we're not following the tradition, and yet you don't even want to live up to the law of Moses that you espouse. See, hypocrisy exists when I overinflate my compliance to mask my hidden rebellion. Hypocrisy exists where I overinflate my compliance to mask my hidden rebellion. I become an obsessive compulsive about washing my hands because in my heart, in my heart, I know that I'm far from God. In my heart, I, I have a lot of areas that I won't allow the Holy Spirit to even deal with me about. The problem with hypocrisy, the problem with hypocrisy is that everybody knows it, but you, the problem with hypocrisy is that everybody knows that you're an obsessive compulsive about washing your hands that that according that you're doing all of the traditional things but you're a liar and you can't be trusted everybody knows that you go to church and you pay your tithes but you're having an affair Everybody knows you're doing the religious stuff, but you're playing a game. Jesus says, listen, you you guys, you put on this show, but your life tells the story. In spite of the fact that Jesus was doing miracles and healing people and delivering people from demonic power, the tension in the narrative of the life of Jesus was his truth was confronting the hidden things in their lives that they they, they just were unwilling to deal with. The gospel starts with, here's the good news. And it turns to this story of what are you gonna do about it? Are you going to allow it to fit into your life and bring transformational change? And are you gonna fit into this kingdom or are you gonna build for yourself an alternative kingdom? As you read, Mark chapter 6, and 7 and 8, 7 and 8, just more miracles begin to unfold. And that same pattern that we saw in 1 through 6 continues. And then you get to Mark chapter 9. I want to read this to you from verses 33 through 35. And it says, and they came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing along the way? Jesus has been in this pattern. He's been doing miracles They were asking questions, he would respond, exposing the hypocrisy, bringing them back to the kingdom. And miracle after miracle after miracle has happened. Uh, It led to the Mount of Transfiguration in which literally the glory of God was shown on the mountain. The old prophets showed up uh, and a few of the disciples were actually there. They saw Jesus be endued with the glory and the power of God. It was this just unimaginable experience. And So they come from all of these miracles and all these signs and all these wonders. They come from the Mount of Transfiguration, and they're walking along. They go to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent. For on the way, they argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last and all, the last of all, and a servant of all. You ever heard the expression, missing the forest for the trees? You ever heard that expression? Talk about not seeing what's in front of you. And the disciples, his closest followers, were guilty of it. See, we've read up until this point in Mark 1 through 8 about the religious people, right? And those who were not his followers, who were struggling to see, do I really fit with this Jesus? Does this Jesus fit with my idea of the Messiah? And you would think... That his closest followers, the ones that were walking along with him, seeing these miracles. In fact, these guys have actively participated in the miracle of Jesus. Like when he did the whole multiplying bread and fish thing, they had been a part of that. They had collected baskets full left over. So they had been participants in a miracle. And so they're walking along, probably carrying baskets of miraculous bread. Who knows where it comes from? They're walking along and there's chatter in the group and Jesus sees and hears them chattering when he gets to the house. Hey guys, what were you talking about back there? You would have thought they had been talking about, can you believe that miracle that he did? Can you believe when he called those Pharisees hypocrites? Wasn't it great when he... No, what they were talking about was... Um, who do you think is going to be in charge? When uh, who do you think is going to be a senior pastor? When he <laughs> who's going to be the boss? Who's going to be the manager? Who's in the, Jesus? This is wonderful. A new kingdom is coming. Where do I fit? Into that kingdom. What is my power? What is my role? What is my title? What is my responsibility? Imagine. Now I know if you or I were there. We would have been oohing and aahing over the miracles. We would have been thinking about writing down everything you had said and done. But these guys. They were worried about their place. They were worried about what their new authority was going to be, what their their title was going to be. Imagine being that close to Jesus and that close to the kingdom and yet not understanding it. Imagine being intimately involved in its explosion on the earth, literally, physically involved in some of the first miracles that Jesus would perform and yet still missing the point. They'd recently experienced the Mount of Transfiguration and yet they still didn't see Jesus. They still didn't understand his kingdom. After the Mount of Transfiguration in this chapter, go home and read it in your daily 20 this week. While Jesus was up on the mountain and Transfiguration was taking place, some people came and said, hey, you're, that, you're following that Jesus guy, and he's doing miracles, right? Well, I've got this son, and he's suffering from epilepsy, and he's got this stuff going on. Can you help him? And they tried to help him, and it, and it, and it didn't work. They had experienced their first organizational failure. They had just abysm- abysmally, that's a hard word to say, failed. And here they were, their first opportunity to really question, talk about it. And the question wasn't, oh man, we, we need to learn this kingdom. We need to embody this kingdom. We need no, their question was, who gets to be in charge? Their response to this situation was not all that different The crowds are the Pharisees. It's the same paradox that we all walk in as human beings. See, the human paradox is that we are blinded by our need to be seen, we are deaf due to our need to be heard, and we are enslaved by our need to be powerful. The kingdom had come, the good news was here. But even those closest to Jesus weren't hearing it because they needed to be heard. The kingdom was right in front of them, performing signs and wonders and miracles, but they couldn't see it because they were concerned about being seen themselves. What's my role? What's my title? What's my position? They were so quick and ready to overthrow Roman rule because as a subjugated people having their dignity robbed from them, they wanted to take power back so badly that when Jesus was offering them the power of the kingdom of God, the only way they could process it was through the lens of social and political power in their time and their space. They were stuck and limited. Their identities were stuck and limited by who gets to be in charge right here, right now. And Jesus says, friends, you're missing it. It doesn't matter at all. The first, the first in the kingdom is last. This kingdom is so turned upside down from the kingdom of man. And is it possible for you to consider for a moment that much of our traditions and things that we have added on to the revelation of God were ways in which we could control and process and manipulate our desire to be seen, our need to be heard, and our hunger for power? Jesus says, if you want to be great in the kingdom, you've got to be humble. And then he went on, and we're going to talk about it over the next few weeks, to allow himself to be humbled and humiliated in a way that was beyond any of their ability to comprehend. Why? Because the kingdom of God, the power of the kingdom of God absolutely, needs no human affirmation Jesus didn't need to prove anything and what he was saying to them was if you're really my followers then you will follow me along this path I'm no longer needing to be seen no longer needing to be heard no longer needing to be powerful because what you understand is that this kingdom is all powerful. That the good news, the gospel, the message of this kingdom cannot be suppressed. I love the Bible so much for a lot of reasons, but one of the reasons that I love Scripture so much is, and in you—it's in—you cannot argue the fact that there is no other book in human history that has been more scrutinized in scripture. And yet over and over and over again, through every scientific, archaeological, sociological test that it's been put to, when an honest evaluation is done, it comes through as true. There's not an honest, there's not an honest expert in the world that, can, that, can, that would not tell you that versus every every manuscript test that is out there that there's no other book in history. There's no other book in history, period. More provable and more factual than scripture. I love scripture. Why? Because the good news is irrepressible. The message of God is irrepressible. God's not up in heaven like, oh man, if Randy doesn't post on Instagram this week, that (laughs) meme about me i just don't know that people are gonna know all of creation echoes you and i you and i could be we our mouths could be sewn shut and the message would still go forward does that mean that I'd be silent? Absolutely not. And that wasn't what Jesus was saying to his disciples. It was just, we're not operating from a place of insecurity here. Here's what I would submit to you. I would submit to you that much of our sin and m- many of the areas that we struggle in our lives are rooted in insecurity in our identity. It goes all the way back to Genesis chapter three. That, that we're so desperate be seen, heard, feel powerful because we had our identity and dignity robbed from us in the Garden of Eden. In fact, it's not really true to say that it was robbed from us. We actually gave it. We exchanged it because we didn't want God. We wanted to be God. What Jesus was saying is in this kingdom, there's one God and you're not him. If you're going to be in this kingdom, if you're going to be in this kingdom, then you're going to exchange your need to be God you're going to exchange your, king, your, your need for control, your need for affirmation, your, your, your need to be seen and heard and feel. by. You're going to exchange that need. And in my kingdom, as my kingdom expresses itself, we don't get caught up in all of this stuff because our confidence is rooted in this kingdom that is transcendent. Jesus taught a principle that has echoed through time, which is this. Comparison is the thief of joy. I tried to research that to find out who that originated with, and there's a lot of controversy over who it might have been, but regardless of who it was, it affirms truth. that we learn in Scripture that when you live your life via comparison, you'll never have joy. And the problem with the problem with sin, prob, problem with the struggle that many of us have with sin, is it is often driven by comparison. You compare to yourself to others. And you say, I don't have what they have, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take, I'm going to get, I'm going to manipulate, I'm going to make that happen. We believe our happiness is dependent of us, on us having the same thing that other people have, that if we have the same experience that other people have, that maybe it'll fill the void in our life. And so much of our sin is chasing, is chasing comparison. And Jesus, to his closest followers, said, listen, don't be, don't be like the Pharisees. Most of us in this room would say, oh, I'm I'm not like the Pharisees. We love the Pharisees to be the bad guy. We love for them to be the antagonist. Yet Jesus is saying to his closest followers, listen, you're missing it. You're not understanding. Because after all of this revelation, you're still getting caught up in what is your most fundamental flaw, which is your need. Your need to make yourself something that you're not your need to push yourself to the front of the room. Your need to be seen, your need to be heard, your need for power. Jesus says all all of the power of the kingdom is yours if you follow me. See, fit is found in the kingdom of God. Fit is found through surrender. Fit is found through surrender. That was what was different. It was what was different about the gospel message that Jesus was preaching and Judaism that the religious people of his day that were in most of the audience that he was speaking to or even the Samaritans who were practicing a form of it. See, in their religion, in their religion, fit was found through performance. Fit was found through doing all the right things the right way And if you did all the right things the right way, then you would please God. And if you please God, then he would bless you. And and here's what happens is power consolidates. When I get power, I want to keep power. So if I'm one of the people in power, what I want to do is I want to keep moving the bar because if everybody has power, then nobody has power. So if I'm one of the religious leaders, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to add on to the law of Moses I'm going to add on some extra traditions and rules because I want, to, I want to keep the power dynamic high. I want to keep you away from power because as long as I can keep you feeling humiliated, as long as I can keep you feeling small, as long as I can keep you feeling like you'll never measure up, I can control you. If I can keep you emotional and triggered and a victim, I can control you that way. And so, so the people politically, socially religiously who had power would just keep adding on traditions and keep people feeling like a failure Jesus says no the kingdom of God is different than that the gospel message is different it's not like Judaism where you have to earn it it's not like Islam where you have to earn it it's not like Hinduism where you have to earn it it's not like traditional religions where you have to earn it no 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 the truth of the kingdom of God is you can never earn it But here's the hope of the world. Here's a good father, a loving God, who says, let me do for you what you cannot do for you yourself. Let me pay the price that you can never pay. I got you. I got you. Let me pay pay that price. You don't have to earn this. You just have to embody it. You just have to embrace it. You just have to allow it. Remember back to the seed conversation? You just have to open the door and let it be planted in your life because it's so powerful that the more you surrender to it, the more it's gonna grow. And the more that it grows, the more it's gonna transform you. And as it transforms you, you're gonna come to a place where you don't even care about that stuff anymore. I can walk in a room and no one can greet me and it doesn't change my day at all. The boss, can, the boss cannot promote me. And guess what? Maybe I do find a better job somewhere else. But my identity, my esteem, my self-esteem isn't affected by I'm not going to lose sleep over that. He doesn't know what he doesn't know. I face obstacles and problems and circumstances in life in which my physical life or my my reality in this situation is threatened and yeah, I, I, I walk through it, I deal with it, but my faith isn't rocked or shaken because take this body out, it's okay, I got another one coming. I have a transcendent kingdom that is growing inside of me that is irrepressible live in that confidence in that space there's nothing the enemy can throw my way that'll lure me away from the goodness of God Jesus in Mark chapter 8 verses 34 through 37 says this in calling the crowd to him with his disciples he said to them if anyone would come after me let him deny himself take up his cross and follow me For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man gain in return of his soul? This upside down kingdom that Jesus was preaching. This gospel, this good news. Jesus was preaching. It was rejected. Not because Jesus wasn't showing enough of the power of God. He was healing sick people and delivering demoniacs. No. The reason he was marching toward the cross. Is because people were rejecting him. And they were rejecting him because this kingdom wasn't one. This kingdom wasn't one. Of building your reputation in this world, of building your life in this world. People rejected Jesus because this gospel that he preached was surrender your life in this world. Grow small. Be small. So that you can experience the bigness, the greatness of the kingdom. and That threatened everything that hope, that life, that once and for all removal of your need and my need to receive validation externally from others, from a system that would subjugate us through this kingdom was being removed once and for all. And the good news for you and I today is that it's here for every one of us. And the degree to which... We will surrender to it is the degree to which it will transform us.